0: Dear friends, would you take your copy of God's word and turn with me to 2 Corinthians and chapter 4? 2 Corinthians and chapter 4. As you make your way there, today is a special day in the life of our congregation as we see this tangible evidence of God's goodness to us. He has answered our prayer and provided an associate minister for our spiritual health and our growth. And we praise our God for hearing our cry. Uh, This morning is really a culmination in the process of seeing John take up his role installed as a minister of the Gospel among us to preach the unsearchable riches of Jesus. Now, the installation ceremony you're going to see soon after this sermon is not a perfunctory ceremony. It's not a mere tradition of men. It's not even a good excuse for a fellowship meal though food and celebration always go together. This installation is a recognition of Christ as the King and head of His church, conferring through His officers that John should be established among us as a recognized pastor. It is a gift of Christ, and He is to be received in such a way as He is called to set forth the riches found in Jesus, the glories of the new covenant as He faithfully takes up His role. Well, as we celebrate that grand occasion, We're going to reflect here on 2 Corinthians 4, verses 1-6, to describing something of New Covenant ministry. Let me pray for us as we come to our passage. Heavenly Father, we ask that You would minister to our souls through Your Holy Word. And we thank You, O Lord, that we can see You answering our prayers, providing for our needs, showing Your goodness to us, Your people who are not worthy of the least of Your blessing. Lord, but yet You have not treated us as our sins deserve. And we pray even now, Lord, that You would not treat us as our sins deserve, rather that You would speak to our hearts by the power of Your Spirit and awaken us to understanding of what You would teach us in the Scripture. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're able, would you stand for the reading of the Word of the Lord? Second Corinthians 4, again, verses 1-6. to six. to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Well, thus far, God's Word, and may He be praised. Brethren, please be seated. Our passage begins with a therefore, which means we need to go back and think a moment. What has Paul been talking about? Well, in 2 Corinthians 3, the Apostle has declared the glory of new covenant ministry. It is a ministry of life for the Spirit gives life and peace where formerly the Gospel had been absent from folk and they reigned in a state of death. It's a ministry of righteousness, one that declares the work of Christ for us who puts us in right relationship with God through faith in Him. New Covenant ministry is a ministry of freedom. for Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or Liberty freedom from the curse of the law, freedom from the dominion of sin, freedom from the sting of death. And that New Covenant ministry is a ministry of glory because in the New Covenant, we see permanency. Things resting on not on the blood of bulls and goats, which weren't effective to remove our sin, but resting on Christ, on our great High Priest who sat down at the right hand of God the Father, having finished His work, He is a better priest. He's a better sacrifice. He's a surety of the better covenant. Jesus has accomplished purification for our sins and He reigns on high. These are great benefits, brethren, that come to us through Christ and His victorious work. However, with all this new covenant ministry and all the blessings that it brings, we could be tempted to think we'll never have struggle anymore. It's all rejoicing, all power, all triumph because Christ is the one in whom all the promises of God are yes and amen. However, while we have abounding spiritual blessings in Christ, we are but tasting the first fruit of the Spirit. We are in the midst of a present evil age where the world itself is groaning. All creation is groaning to be liberated. And we are groaning, longing for the day when sin and sorrow will come to an end. In this world, even among believers, there is a not yet, that is, we're still battling with the schemes of Satan, with earthly allurements and the enticements from the flesh. In that light, ministry in the New Covenant era remains difficult. And Paul has related some of his struggles thus far in the letter. He's encountered severe opposition. He spoke of despairing even of life itself In 2 Corinthians 1, likely he was in prison again for the sake of the gospel and a death sentence hung over him. He's facing those in the church here at Corinth who are claiming to be apostles, they're false, and they're challenging his integrity. There are people in the church who are bringing him great grief, and on top of that, There's all the suffering He's faced. Beatings with rods and lashes on the run from hostile Jews or hostile Gentiles. And then He has the burden of the churches, the anxiety, He describes it, of being concerned for the people of God because they are beset with difficulty. Growth is slow. The Gospel has to overcome obstacles. And then there are some in the church who will not leave their sin. So while being a new covenant minister is an incredible kindness of the Lord, it still has challenges. So how is Paul going to face those challenges? How is his ministry to be carried out in the midst of these battles? Well, here in our text, Paul is giving us a model for ministry. It's one to emulate whether you're in 1st century Corinth or 21st century Douglasville. And I want to show you five things in our passage about how Gospel ministry should be done. Now I'm going to be talking to John a lot as I speak about how gospel ministry is to be done and every other gospel minister in the room. But it certainly should shape the way that we pray and how we understand the ministry of the gospel. So first see with me, gospel ministry is to be done with determination. Look again at verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Paul recognizes marvelous grace has been shown to him that he should be called a minister of the New Covenant. It's a glorious ministry. You get to observe the power of the Spirit as Christ is preached, raising sinners to life when they were dead in sin. You get to see the Spirit of God transforming people from one degree of glory to another. And Paul is conscious as he engages in this ministry. He's not sufficient for the task. His sufficiency to preach Christ is from God. Paul asked in view of being the aroma of Christ, bringing the aroma of death to some who don't listen, and the aroma of life to others. Lord, who's sufficient for these things? Back in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul is conscious that he is a weak man, and the task is great to spread the fragrance of Christ everywhere he goes. In fact, it's too great for him. But God has taken this weak man and made him an adequate servant. He's equipped him. Paul's confidence to minister is not from his intellect, though he would make us all look like idiots. His confidence to minister is not from his background. His confidence to minister is not from his gift. His confidence comes through the grace of Jesus Christ. And so it must be for you, John, or for any other Gospel minister Your sufficiency to minister doesn't come from your cleverness or your charisma. Your wife is wondering, did you put that in for me? No, it comes from Christ. To whom you must constantly look for every insight, for every ability to labor, for all energy. Without the Lord's empowerment, you are nothing and you can do nothing. You remember, we all remember Jesus said in John 15, that fruitfulness comes as we abide in Christ. For apart from me, Jesus said what? You can do nothing. Yet, Jesus is ready to equip you to be a faithful and fruitful servant. So in view of that grace, Paul says, we don't lose heart even though there is opposition. Now the verb here, to lose heart, means to become weary in the face of opposition we get worn out with opposition if you're a parent you get worn out with ongoing communication ongoing instruction paul in 1 corinthians i'm sorry 1st thessalonians 2 that was read earlier describes himself like a parent a mother and a father we can get worn out but paul's saying no in the dark days when things are difficult i won't slack off we don't cut back our effort We keep Christ's power in view to supply every need that we have for the Spirit is able to take the foolishness of preaching and to bring life through it. So Paul says literally, we continually don't lose heart. Yes, there's opposition. Paul is having to defend the very graciousness of the Gospel that he speaks with humility and plain speech. And then he meets with beatings and imprisonment and hunger and fatigue. But adversity will not cause him to be faint-hearted or cowardly in proclaiming Christ. He's determined to be bold because he gets to declare Jesus and His glory. And it never ceases to be an honor to serve Christ our Savior. Paul's been called by grace. He proclaims grace. And grace will enable him to endure. He trusts the Lord will equip him through every trial. And John, it's these same thoughts which must fill your mind. These privileges are yours to proclaim Christ. You're being installed here to a ministry where trial is promised, where you have to endure hardship as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to face a hostile world of darkened sinners, yes. It's your integrity, your methods, and the very Gospel that we preach is called into question. Church members may likewise at times doubt your love to them. Maybe read into your motives and break your heart when they cling to their sin. There will be discouragements when people refuse to receive rebuke or they return to the flesh. But what is it that keeps you going? Is it to be the smiles of men? No, it's to be the awareness that Christ has called you to this task and you labor in it for His glory. You've been lavished with grace and His grace gives you determination. The King of glory has called you a vile sinner to be filled with the Gospel. How then can you shrink back or relax in your diligence? Did His mercy to you ever slack off? Brother, that's a point that's applicable to us all. Does the mercy of Christ to us ever cease? No. Every morning we meet with the newness of His steadfast love, don't we? And that should empower us to keep going forward. Whatever our calling, whatever our gifts, it is the grace of God that induces us to labor through every trial. So how is gospel ministry to be carried out? With determination. But then secondly, also with sincerity. Paul's resolve as he engages in ministry is never to adopt worldly methods. Look at verse 2. He says, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. Paul has once and for all time renounced manipulative tactics, which are shameful. He refuses to imitate the craftiness of the devil, who is all about tricks, the devil, a liar from the start, uses his cunning to lead believers astray from the simplicity of pure devotion to Christ. And Paul's opponents in Corinth have picked up the devil's deeds. They claim they're preaching Christ, but what they're doing is disguising satanic schemes to achieve power and money and acclaim. It should remind us all that the devil just keeps doing the same stuff. Power and Money and acclaim. That's what he's trying to give to men. Well, Paul repudiates this self-centered subterfuge because truth matters. Indeed, Paul says he will not tamper, or better, he will not adulterate God's Word. The idea here is he won't use God's Word as bait to draw in a mark and then manipulate the person to gain riches or renown. He's not going to twist the Scripture to suit His ends or to make other people think well of Him. Paul says, rather, verse 2, by the open statement of the truth, no secret societies here, by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul's saying, he preaches with clarity and candidness. He doesn't bury the moral requirements of the law for those who don't like to hear the bad news. But neither does He water down the grace of God in Christ. He preaches grace as amazing, as breathtaking, and yet grace that makes demands. For Christ calls us to empty ourselves in His service. Paul will preach the idea that it's Christ and Christ alone. And He'll strip us away of everything that we think we could contribute to our own salvation. Paul preaches that with power. It's nothing of you and all of Christ. And then he doesn't skip over the hard texts to have people support him. And I don't want to offend a certain person. Paul is not concerned to please men, which is a temptation for us all. He's, a cons- he's concerned to please Christ. So Paul is straightforward. He tells it like it is. Not bluntly, so as he has no tact or grace, but he's honest. He also doesn't ignore the language of suffering or the ongoing call to repent, the necessity of putting off and putting on just to tickle ears. Paul isn't a man who preaches purity and then himself is licentious. He doesn't declare the virtues of hard work and then grow fat on the support of others and telling them they need to contribute to his gulf stream. Sorry, how do we put that in the first century context? A a chariot maybe with Egyptian horses? Um, Paul is not interested in getting that. He He doesn't proclaim humility and then arrogantly dominate people in the church. But neither does Paul dilute the truth or live carelessly. No, he rightly divides the word of truth as a workman, a laborer, while also being an example to the people. And John, this is what you must do. You delight in Christ and you preach from that delight in your own soul. You taste the sweetness of the Gospel and then you show the sweetness to the people that saves them and sanctifies them. Further, you refuse to take the rough edges off the Gospel which call sinners to die to sin and self, to embrace the cross, to get low. And you never obscure the blazing light of Christ with your own hobby horses. You must sincerely preach Jesus as Lord and Savior of all. And you make known to man the emptiness of His pride, the folly of sin, even the danger of hell. You call believers to holiness, fight conformity to the world, and you resist the devil. And Gospel preachers must have no hidden agendas. With you, there's only the pursuit of Jesus and the building up of the people of God. John, is that a ministry that you are ready to take up? Will you work hard to apply Scripture with accuracy and affection, not going beyond what is written? Gospel ministry must be accompanied with sincerity, transparency, and openness. So will you declare Christ's truth and then walk in the truth as you speak the truth? How do we do gospel ministry? With determination, with sincerity. Thirdly, with awareness of spiritual conflict. Now, the false teachers at Corinth were accusing Paul of preaching a confusing and ineffective gospel. And with these allegations in view, Paul says, verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Success in ministry is not defined by zero opposition with everyone receiving the message. In fact, you're not honoring Christ if everyone receives the message because everyone didn't receive Jesus' message there will be people who do not respond to the gospel. But that doesn't mean there's a problem with the gospel. The problem is there's a veil on the heart of the people who are perishing. John Calvin puts it this way, the blindness of unbelievers detracts nothing from the clearness of the gospel, for the sun is not less resplendent because the blind can't see it. Paul is preaching the blazing light of Christ and there are people who won't see. There are people in this church who are saying Paul is nothing in his ministry because there's just a small, feeble response to his weak preaching. Paul must be corrupting something. Paul is, well, go on to say, and I'll bring in the 21st century, he's ugly and boring. Paul is ugly and boring. He just doesn't have the pizzazz that he needs to be a true oratorical master of presenting Christ. Well, Paul says, look, I'm certain I'm not preaching a different gospel. He doesn't say here, my gospel. He does in other places. But he says, our gospel is the one veiled. Paul preaches the same gospel as Jesus, as Peter, as Apollos. He declares there's one name under heaven by which we must be saved, and it's Christ, and you must repent and turn to Jesus There's no monkeying with the message. And yet, Paul still sees at times a a different or a minimal response. Now, one reason for that minimal response is what we read in verse 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the Gospel of the glory of God in Christ who is the image of God. The God of this world, or we could translate the God of this age, is another name for the devil. And Paul sees life here through a, a two-age scheme. There's this present evil age where Satan, though thrown down by the power of Christ in the Gospel, is still operating. He's still blinding. He's still attacking. And then there's the age to come. The fullness of which we'll see when Christ returns and the fiery destruction of the devil takes place. However, the age to come is already broken in with the effulgent splendor of the glory of Christ. And yet, the devil is still the prince of this world. He's still a corrupting influence in this world system of rebellion against God. And where men persist in their unbelief, they are in fact serving Satan as though he were God. They're doing things like adding to the Gospel is, Christ plus something else. Or they're making suffering for Christ seem like it's out of bounds. Even though Christ suffered and called us to a life of suffering. The devil with his deluding influence blinds people lest they escape his bondage. He's not just a liar. Satan is a murderer from the beginning. He casts aspersions on the character of God. He provokes doubt. He encourages sin, which leads to blindness, which then results in destruction. That's what the devil is after. He wants no one to have life. So he prevents sinners from seeing the light of the Gospel displayed in Christ. Christ is the very image of God. He's the One who shares the glory of the Father, who makes the Father's nature known, and who brings saving power to souls. And Paul knows from personal experience what it's like to be in a state of blindness and have the Lord rescue him. His whole ministry is to open blind eyes that they would turn from darkness to the light, from the power of Satan to God. But as Paul preaches, he knows the sinners will keep loving their sin. Some. Some of them will. And the devil will just keep seeking to destroy So here's the Apostle Paul. He's making known this clear, bold statement of Christ and resistance is certain. John, that's something that you have to reckon with as a Gospel minister. The devil will not gladly relinquish his prey. He will stir up resistance. He will do everything he can to leave folks wallowing in unbelief, seeing no beauty in Christ and no delight in Christ's work. He'll delude people into thinking they don't need to repent. My sin isn't that serious. I'm basically a good person. He'll make sin look satisfying and Christianity look like a great bore. You can't go into ministry with some Pollyanna view. You can't be naive. Everyone to whom I preach will respond to the Gospel. They won't. You're a soldier of Christ going into a battle for souls. And the devil will fight tooth and nail against you. This is a war. And brethren, as I say that, it's a reminder to, you, to us all why you need to pray for gospel ministers. Perhaps you've noted in your life if you walk with Christ a long time, doesn't it seem like gospel ministers fall regularly into money problems or sexual sin or some other scandalous thing? you need to pray for them. They are under the assault of the devil. And the assault can feel constantly oppressive. This is a war. We also as Gospel ministers need boldness and liberty to stand firm and to proclaim Christ to combat Satan when He comes against us with fierce power. John, in this war, you must not become a tool of the evil one by tarnishing the light. Of the gospel of Christ. You can't preach a truncated Christ. You can't deviate from the apostolic message. You must herald the glory of Jesus. And are you resolute to do so? Are you ready to see the conflict intensify? Will you hold fast even when men say your methods are antiquated? Will you resist the temptation to accommodate the gospel to please the culture? Will you recognize Opposition will be perpetual. This is the way you engage in Gospel ministry. But then there's a fourth thing. As you engage in Gospel ministry amidst the spiritual fight, how do you do it? Well, by exalting Christ as Lord. Verse 5, the light of Christ is shining in the Gospel and the way that you counter the darkness is with your message. What is the message? Verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Though you do aim to commend yourself to men's consciences, you are not a man who advertises yourself. You will not sell your forehead for a tattoo, right? For an advertising company. Look at how great I am. Look at how great I am. You've not been called to gospel ministry to be a celebrity, to gain recognition, to have men uh, seeking you for your thoughts and your considerations like you're some type of worldly guru. You don't preach to show off. You don't shoot for sophistication over edification. You're not aiming for cleverness over clarity. You're not trying to be the most beloved, the funniest guy, the guy with the best stories. You've been called to preach Christ, because Christ is the one who saves. You preach His riches, His forgiveness, His love, His demands, and you forget yourself. Why? Because what people need is to repent and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and He alone can save. The people need to hear a call to turn unto the resurrected Christ because He alone has conquered Satan's sin and death. They need to repent because He reigns. They need to know the demands upon their lives from Christ as King. They need to see that to Him belongs their utmost service. John, is that the kind of ministry you're ready to embrace afresh? Are you committed to setting before the people of God the claims of Jesus, preaching His supremacy, His majesty, His reigning power to subdue sinners and bring His people to Himself? Will Christ be your all? One of surpassing worth to you and will you lay aside selfish ambition and vain glory as you engage in that task dear people that's not just a perspective for the minister of the gospel it's a perspective for us all paul will say in philippians do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit but with humility of mind consider others as more important than yourselves he'll go on to say have this mind in you which was also in christ jesus Are you preoccupied as a people, singularly focused on the glory of Christ? Do we seek man's approbation or Christ's delight in what we say and how we live? Is our chief end people praising our wits or our eloquence or our skill? Or do we seek Jesus and His majesty? And yet, John, as you preach Jesus Christ as Lord, what is your relationship to the people of God? Look at how Paul states his relationship in verse 5, he says, we are your servants, he's speaking to the Corinthians, we're your servants for Jesus' sake. The only mention of self that is permissible in Paul's preaching is that he is a servant for the people. Paul is called to serve others by focusing on Christ, pointing them to Jesus. Paul is a minister. He's not a master. He's a servant. Not one lording it over people. Now, several times in his letters, Paul talks about being a bondservant of Christ, but it may really take us aback to hear Paul say he's a bondservant of the people. Doesn't that make Paul a slave tied to the whims of the people? Well, no, because actually what he says is he's a bondservant of Christ for your sake. Jesus is the master. Jesus' Word gives life and direction. And it's only because of the model of Christ that Paul even adopts this very language. Jesus said, we all remember, the Son of Man came not to serve, but to what? To be served. To give His life as a ransom for many. You're not giving your life to ransom people. Only Christ can do that. But you are all about service unto Christ. Our Savior laid down His life for His people. He was willing even to wash feet. He who is in the very form of God emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant. And God's people, all of us, are to have this mind of Christ in us where we are concerned to labor for one another's welfare. But who is to lead the way in sacrificial service? It's the minister of the Gospel. Worldly methods tell us what what people in power do, what people who are leaders do, is they lord it over others and dominate and enforce their will. Jesus said, no, I'm among you as one who serves. I lead by service. Service that will lead me all the way to death. That's the model that you must embrace, John. It's the model for its all. But it's the way that you walk so that you show others walk like this. Will you gladly spend and be expended for the people of God? Will you give and give and give because your aim is to see them conformed to Christ? Jesus said, whoever would be first among you must be the slave or the servant of all. So you are free from the people by Christ to be free for them. To give yourself for their benefit. Again, again, No gospel minister is out to promote himself but to see sinners saved and built up. And is that what you long for? We'll see one more thing. How do you engage in this ministry? By resting in God's power. Verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Who can remove the blindness of sin? Only the Lord. Only God can save sinners and not man. Paul is struck with this. We we were just looking last week in Acts and how Paul's on the Damascus road and he had an encounter with the risen Christ and he went from a state of darkness to a state of light. Light banished the evil of his heart and he was made new, given life. Paul's conversion is something of a paradigm of what every believer knows because we could all say if we're in Christ, I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And how do we see? Because of the power of God through Jesus by His grace alone. He is the one who delivers us from the domain of darkness. So Paul will never be a self-promoter. He will only promote the power of God, the glory of Christ, the enlightening of the Spirit. He will preach the Gospel because the Gospel is the means to bring the power of God to bear on souls. Paul preaches and he rests in God's great power. And John, that's what you must do. You proclaim Christ apart from whom there is no knowledge of God. And you look to the Father to break hard hearts and to banish the darkness. This is really a freeing point. It's not your job to save souls. Praise God, because if that were the case, we would all be out of a job. That can't be done. Only God can do it. But He's able to use men as we proclaim this weak and foolish message in the eyes of the world. To take souls trapped in sin and to set them free. And if we're called to that task, how can we fail to declare Christ, whom God has used to liberate us from darkness? John, what's the exhortation overall? It's really simple preach the dazzling light of Jesus Christ. Preach with determination, preach with sincerity, preach in the midst of the spiritual war, and trust God to save His people. Dear friends, as he preaches, trust God to use Him to grow you in grace for His own glory's sake. Let's pray together. O Lord our God, we do come and as we see this incredible task of Gospel ministry, knowing that no man is sufficient for it, we thank You that Your Spirit equips men to preach Christ and His glory And Lord, we pray for our own hearts that we would accept what is proclaimed to us of Jesus. We also pray that You, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, would cause us as a congregation to be eager to pray for the men of God who stand in this spiritual battle as soldiers of Christ. And we pray that they would not ever lose heart. And we pray this in the name of Jesus our Savior. Amen.